You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Yeah, it's been uh, a long three days. Uh, you've kind of worn me down. I was six feet four inches when I came. <laughs> you know, it's been a real joy. Uh, first thing I want to do, uh, I don't want to miss it, to say uh, welcome and hello on behalf of your brothers and sisters who network with you around the world, our uh, other churches that uh, you're part of the fellowship with, our hospitals, our clinics, our leprosarium, our orphan homes, our seminaries, schools. Uh, thank you for being a part of our partnership. It's good to be a part of your family. Um, yeah, it's been great. You know, you guys are spoiled. Um, God is doing some wonderful things here. And as I uh, unpacked the truths of the interviews that I had, certain trends became unmistakable. That the people of this church... Uh, greatly affirm pastor and staff and feel really good about the lay leadership of the church. Your worship is really, really good. Um, I go to hundreds of churches, some of them over 20,000, and uh, I did not worship as good at their church as I did this one. You know, it's not just professionalism. You know, the Spirit of God was here, and I have met with him. Uh, and you guys are actually singing. You know, I go to a lot of churches, look around, and nobody's singing. Um, you are a blessed people. The children's ministry, the small groups, the list goes on and on of things that God is doing here that have positioned you, I think, for another level of service in his community. So uh, it's been fun to be here. Were there a few concerns? Absolutely. Any of them are shaking? I'll share them with the, uh, with the uh, leadership today. In fact, I think if I interviewed 50 families in any church and there weren't some concerns, I'd wonder whether people were telling me the truth or not. Uh, there are no perfect churches, but I tell you, this one is pretty good. And thank you for letting me be a part of it. The other thing I want to affirm is leadership. This church is absolutely people resource rich. The people I've been working with in the uh, capital campaign and the building fund are are people who are not only skilled but are spiritual. And uh, as a congregation, you should be really good that God has allowed you to be a part of this particular family. Today, though, I want to talk briefly um, about a problem that God brings up in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says there is a conspiracy against you in the world today. And this conspiracy is trying to set the pattern of your life, to fit you into a mold, if you read Romans chapter 12, verse 2. That um, there is an unseen agenda to shape the way you think and your entire approach to life. And there are certain mantras that are said over and over and over again in any culture that are trying to get you to think that way. Now, I'm going to deal with one of them today. And the mantra is this. The storyline is this. You're being told more is better. Bigger is better. Newer is better. So I've been through iPhone 1. I've been through iPhone 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 6X. But now you know what's coming. iPhone watch. You know, the Apple watch. There's always something bigger and better. And the message that's being told to you is that contentment and happiness really is in things. And that if you only had a bigger, better thing, you'd be happy. Not happy now with the things you have? Get rid of them and get better things. It doesn't matter if they're not worn out. 
It doesn't matter if they're still useful. Get a bigger, shinier thing and you'd be really happy. More is better. And we buy that lie. And it sends us on an endless treadmill of consuming to be happy. The more we consume, the less happy we become. The less happy we become, the more we consume. And it's like drinking salt water. More stuff is not going to make you happy. So the rest of the world looks at us and they pretty much know we're materialistic. That's what drives everything. So God is going to counter that. And he's going to counter that with uh, the following verse. Would you stand with me? And let's read this verse together. It is countercultural. It goes against everything you hear from morning until night. Would you with me? A bowl of vegetables with harmony is better than a steak with strife. Well read. Please be seated. Now Solomon uses this particular literary device many times throughout his writings. The better than portions. And if uh, God wanted to make sure we didn't miss the truth of this, so in chapter 17, verse 1, he pretty much repeats the same thought. And the thought is, better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. So I'm making the suggestion here to you, based on God's word, less may be better than more. Hmm. That's something you don't hear every day. So I'm going to test God's assumption. Actually, it's not his assumption, it's assertion. But let's treat it as an assumption. So there you are in your favorite restaurant. You notice most of my illustrations somehow come back to food. You know, I, uh, I can't help it. You're seated, you look around, and people are dining sumptuously on steaks and lobster with wonderful desserts, and you think, wow, that's great. The waiter comes up and puts a plain bowl of vegetables in front of, front of you with a glass of water. You gaze into it, and there is the noble lima bean. Like, that's it? Or maybe the underappreciated Brussels sprout. Two of my least favorite vegetables. Now you're looking and say, wow, this is strange. You look around and everybody has more. They have better. And they're really enjoying it. And there doesn't seem to be anything negative about it. Hey, maybe more and better is okay. The waiter comes up and puts the menu in front of you and whispers in your ear, more is better and no payments till 2017. <laughs> oh, you think, this is great. And I'm not talking about one meal. I'm talking about a lifestyle of less is better. Day after day after day, you're living on less and you're watching your friends. They're buying huge houses. They're buying new cars. They're going on holiday all over the world. And you're thinking, wow. Maybe God is wrong. Maybe more is better. Hmm. Culture is a very, very, very powerful entity. The Wall Street Journal has said before you're 21 years of age, you will see one million advertisements, almost every one of them telling you more is better. More money, bigger house, nicer cars. It doesn't matter what you have is perfectly fine. You won't be happy and content until you have more. Let's play with this thought a little more. And I want to unpack 
the truth behind this verse and how we are very, very much in peril if we buy the cultural lie. Here's the illustration. Suppose you make $70,000 a year. Pretty good salary. After the province in Ottawa gets done with it, it is much less, but it's still fairly substantial. You decide, you know, I'm going to buy a new car. You find a little beauty for $35,000 plus applicable fees and taxes and delivery charges and all the rest. You put minimal down. You finance it over 72 months. It will take you 221 eight-hour days to pay for it. Because you may be thinking with buying bigger and better, it's only money. Well, this definition of money is about the best one I've seen. Money is my time plus my energy plus the opportunity God has given me. So I go to work. I put eight hours in. I give them my time. I give them my effort, my energy. And they give me some money in return. It's not just money. It's me. I gave them eight hours of me. And I gave them my energy. 221 eight-hour days to buy that car. Think about this. What would it be like if you gave 221 eight-hour days to your marriage? You'd be Ozzy and Harriet. Now... If you don't know who they are, ask your grandparents. Why did I have to go back so far? Because I did not find a single family sitcom that showed the family as a positive entity. What a family. What a marriage you'd have. What if you gave 221 eight-hour days to your children? They'd be road scholars. What if you gave 221 eight-hour days to your faith and walk with God? You'd be the Apostle Paul. Track with me here. It's not just money. You're giving yourself, yourself, away to this stuff. And then add the car, add on to that the big screen TV set, the holiday to Disneyland. And... Pretty soon, you've given your whole life away for stuff. Now, don't go crazy on me here. I'm not suggesting a monkish kind of an existence. If you read on further in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it talks about, Enjoy the things that I have given you, but be filled with good works and be generous. But understand... I'm afraid for a lot of us, we're going to wake up one day and find out that we bankrolled all the wrong stuff. We bought stuff that doesn't matter. And the things that really did matter to us, all of a sudden we wake up to find out we neglected it. Is that happening today? Absolutely. So you may be back there thinking, what audacity. Phil, are you trying to tell me that my life would be better off if maybe I learned to live on a little less? I'm not saying that. God is. The question you have to ask yourself, well, how much do I need to be content? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8 is a frightening verse. So if we have enough food and clothing, let's be content. Whoa. 
That is a scary thought. Man, I've got way more than that. The point of this verse, though, in the whole section that follows is contentment. What Paul is trying to tell us in God through Paul is that contentment is not a result of getting more stuff. And if that's what you've launched yourself on, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to be contented because when you get that stuff, there's going to be a bigger, better one out there. And your lifelong pursuit of stuff is going to end up with you being unhappy and not contented. And it's going to cause friction. He says those who go beyond this point in the verses to follow need to be very careful because a lot of people with their love of money and the stuff it brings have come to ruin. Have I seen that? I have. Swenson in his book Margins says, what happens when you cut the margins out of your life, even financially? What suffers? He says relationships suffer. And it's true with God, with your family. Again, there's nothing wrong with driving a nice car. I am not against a holiday. I am not against a round of golf. But I'm saying, if that's what you're depending on to be happy, you're in trouble. And if you put that stuff before the real priorities of your life, your faith, your family, your well-being, you're going to have the fatted calf, but there's going to be strife. So what do I do about it? Now we're to the bulletin. First of all, you need to build a budget. The B word, budget. You need a plan. You need a plan. You need a plan. Make sure in your plan you account for your priorities first. What is the most important thing at the end of my life? I want my kids to know Jesus Christ and to be going with me into heaven and my grandkids. I want to make sure that I've left something behind in God's kingdom and uh I'm going to make sure I bankroll that first. And you know what you're going to find out? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things are going to be yours as well. There'll be enough money left over to play. But put your priorities first. Build a budget. Budget, 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 budget. My kids are sick and tired of me. They're glad when I go out to another church. (laughs) Turn off the ads in the magazines. Quit feeding the beast. You keep reading, you keep looking, you keep desiring, and you're going to buy it 100% of the time. Value relationships over things. My wife and I are no longer as grandparents giving things. We're giving experiences to our kids, and we're going along with them, whether they like it or not. (laughs) Tour a nursing home. Pay attention next time you go to a funeral. My mother suffered with Alzheimer's. My sister, oldest sister, has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. You know how much their stuff matters to them? It doesn't. You know what matters? Relationships. The only thing person my mother could talk to at the end was to sing hymns and to pray. She didn't know the rest of us at all. Pay attention. You know, the rest of this stuff, it's fun. It's okay. It's not a sin. But it's not that important. Now, this verse has more implications for us than just money. I'm also going to make the point that slower is better than faster. 
the older I get, the more I appreciate the truth of this verse. Our verse has us, our culture has us pushing, 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 pushing. Faster, 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 faster. Um, If we miss the single panel of a revolving door, we start to get upset. And I'm driving behind this individual that has the audacity to drive the speed limit. How dare he do that? I'm in a hurry. Just read a study by McDonald's. Why people go to McDonald's? Is it the cuisine? No. Is it the ambiance? No. People go to McDonald's because it's... Absolutely. It's fast, faster, 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 faster. And now we have to multitask. I have to be able to do many things at the same time. And they've built a machine to help me do that. I can text. I can surf the net all while I'm driving my automobile. No, just kidding. The pace that we've been setting for ourselves, I can see it. I see it in my children. Driving to this soccer practice, going here, going there. Um, The pace is unbelievable. Swenson, in his book, Again on Margin, argues the fact that we have emotional skin. We have sayings even. You're thin-skinned or you're thick-skinned. His point is this. As we go through tense times, as we really are in the push of life, we're really moving. We're bleeding emotional energy. We're using it up just to keep things going. He also makes the point that God has created us with a finite amount of emotional energy. And day after day and month after month and year after year, as we're on the edge, we're bleeding until we run dry. Something small and inconsequential happens. And we overreact. We explode. Normally we would have been able to just take it in stride. But we're emotionally empty. Road rages from that. You think that happens overnight? No. Somebody's bleeding emotion. Now, we bleed it through our emotional skin, but you can also replenish it through your emotional skin. Swenson argues there are four paces in life. Four gears, if you will, and they're uh, at the bottom of your insert, or at the middle, lower bottom of your insert. He says there are four gears. Two of them bleed emotion. Two of them replenish emotion, and you need these four gears in balance. The first gear, he says, is park. This is personal time. It's the prayer closet. While you are alone with your Heavenly Father, and you're being replenished in your spirit. It's walking, going for a walk by yourself or with your spouse, but you're just, it's for you. It's uh, working in the garden because you want to. It's discretionary time that doesn't need to go anywhere, and God is replenishing you through park. Then there's slow. Swenson says this is the relational gear. It's sitting down with your children and grandchildren and reading them a book without skipping any of the pages. It's sitting down with your spouse and actually listening to them and responding with some give and take and and no looking at the clock. It's watching your child 
play soccer while not surfing the net. You get what I mean? It's I thou, I'm paying attention to you, and you're take that invigorates me. The third gear is drive. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has built you with an amazing amount of energy in balance to achieve a lot. But every now and then, you need to kick it to hyperdrive, warp speed, if you will. It's March the 30th. You have not started your taxes yet. And all of a sudden, this well of energy comes up inside of you. The adrenaline is flowing, and you do heroic work. Or you have a test tomorrow. You haven't started to study for the thing. And all of a sudden, wow, the adrenaline kicks in. You were not built to live on hyperdrive day after day after day. What happens to a car that runs 100 kilometers an hour, hour after hour? It'll fall apart. Do we see people in Canada falling apart today? Absolutely. They're at a pace they simply cannot sustain. So here's my point through all of this. You need a balance in your life. The more harried the time you're in, the more difficult circumstances, you've lost a loved one, lost a spouse, you've lost your job or whatever, the more emotion you're bleeding. So with that, the more park I need, right? Unfortunately, it goes the opposite. I feel guilty. Man, I've got to get at this thing. You're killing yourself. A week away at holiday will not solve this problem. It's a life in balance, a life in control. Let me talk to the people my age here, okay? That would be about 30, right, you were thinking? uh, Staying in park is not an option. Ron Blue says it's okay to retire, but you must remain productive. Without a purpose, there is no reason to get up in the morning. And what most of us need after retirement is to refine, why am I here? There is an answer to that. My 84-year-old mother-in-law moved in with us several years ago. She's since deceased. She had a work ethic like somebody I had never known in my life if she was arthritic. I mean, very painful. If there was a dirty teaspoon in the sink, it would scream her name, Donna. She had to get up, clean it, and put it away. When she could no longer serve at church, she decided what she would do was start a card ministry. She did, on an average, my wife tells me, 700 cards a year. Hallmark sent a limo for her on a regular basis. People she'd never met before. She would hear something tragic happen in their life. When she could no longer hold a pen, she dictated them to my wife. But she had a purpose and a reason. Don't tell me. I've done my service. Let the younger people take over. Do the younger people need to take over? Yeah. Does that mean I don't have to serve? Mm -mm. You don't have that option. You can't just stay in park. Maybe we're not in hyperdrive anymore, but we can still accomplish a lot for the kingdom. So here it is. Here it all is. 
I am suggesting to you that you are being lied to on a regular basis. And the lie is simply, it's all about getting more. Am I against furthering yourself? I'm not. Don't, don't, don't say that. Maximize your ability. And, and education is great. But I'm saying don't tie your contentment to that. Set priorities in your life. What's most important, especially you young marrieds? It'll get away from you really fast. God, family, then this other stuff. Set a pace for yourself. The more harried you are, give yourself permission to go to park. We feel guilty sometimes when we do. I have this work ethic, and I hear this voice inside of me, get up, you lazy kid, and do something. The voice sounds suspiciously like my father's. <laughs> Balance. You know. Uh, so what do we do? A couple of quick things. Number one, God has already programmed into your life a park and a slow. It's called Sabbath or Sunday. We treat it now like another Saturday. All right, you know. It's not. It's got to be the park and the slow day. Relationships and time for me. Don't fill it morning until night with other stuff. You were never created to go seven days, seven days, seven days, seven days, one after the other. This next one is surrendered rest. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In your following of Jesus, he will lead you to still waters and green pastures. Appreciate them and follow his lead. He won't push you beyond what you were designed. He knows your frame. He knows you are but dust. Follow him. Balance. I think that's what we're after. Not the extreme. Please, don't, don't go to the extreme on me. But balance in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we are very much a product of our culture. Yours is a still voice amongst neon and screams of mistruth. Teach us, Lord, not to be forced into the pattern of the world, but to stand against it for you and order our life, Lord, in balance as you direct. Forgive us, Lord, for having misplaced priorities, for giving our lives to things that are less important. Teach us, I pray, in your name. Amen.